0: Open our hearts, um, open our minds to be receptive. Receptive that we may learn more about you and about your Son. And Father, God, to pray for me, uh, and that it would be Your words that come through and not my own. We love you, Father. We are not very good at it sometimes, so help us get better. Amen. So, my first job uh, in high school, I worked at an after-school program uh, where I would, you know, watch little kids. Very similar to my job now. Uh, it was about pre-K to second grade. So about the same, and uh, you know they, they would you know get out of school at three thirty or whatever, and I'd go and I'd watch them as their parents worked till five. And we had one particular family; they had like six kids, like even more than the pastor. And uh, <laughs> I didn't write any of these jokes in the manuscript I gave him, by the way. Um, but they had all these kids, and I and I found out as I got to know them uh, that. Uh, two of them were the biological children of this family. Two of them were foster children who are now uh, in the process of being adopted. And then t- two of them were just, just foster children. They were just staying there temporarily. And so um, I thought that was very, you know, as was a good deed. I, I, so I got to know those kids and it was a very hard time in life when you're a child and you're in a foster home, you're being adopted. So I wanted to really pour into their lives uh, and make sure that they felt loved and valued. So I did that and um, one year I was asking them about Christmas like you do kids love Christmas so I was like you know what'd you have Santa for uh, what'd you get you know what were you good all year did you get some good stuff you know and so uh, through that conversation I it came out uh, because they would say things like yeah well under my tree I had these presents or that presents but under their tree they had this or that and or they say and and we got this uh, we had this these decorations on our tree and uh, they had you know, they have this decoration on theirs. And I was like, "Why do they got, what's the deal with these two Christmas trees? So I asked him, I said, I said Why, what, what, what two Christmas trees are you talking about? And um, what he told me was, oh, these two kids have their Christmas tree. The biological kids have their tree. And then we have, we have our tree in the other room separate. It broke my heart. It's devastating, right? Because here in front of me are these, these four kids. Uh, two of them are about to enter the family. Two of them are waiting to be adopted by a family because they don't have one. And, then, and, and you can just imagine the scene that that year on Christmas Day, they're gathered around this tree over here, and then there were these other kids over here just looking at something that they don't have and that they could never get to. Because even these kids who were in the process of being adopted were, were put on this second tree. So even being brought into the family, they were still uh, separated. They were still distinguished uh, from the other kids. And so I'd, I, it was mind-boggling to me because I'd heard them call each other brother and sister. They, that's my brother. That's my sister. But what the two trees communicated to me was that there was separation. There was distinction in the family. And that just shouldn't be so because we know that children are to be treated, whether they're biological or not, as your children. And adoption, according to scripture, is about total integration into the family, no distinction, no separation, no rejection. And as you heard from some of our songs today, we talked about adoption a little bit because it is an essential aspect of the gospel. Because all of us At one time or another, we're just like those two foster kids and those two uh, kids that were in the process of being adopted because we were looking for somewhere to belong, a family to belong to. And our one verse today tells us that we are enemies of God. We are enslaved to our own sinful desires. But God, in his love, has saved us from that slavery and adopted us into sonship. And that's our one truth today, that God in his love has saved us from slavery to adopt us into sonship. So as always, we, we need to look at the context of our verse, right? It's very important, especially because we're right in the middle of a sentence. It doesn't make total sense uh, if we just did verse 5. So to see the full beauty uh, of, of our redemption and adoption, we have to first know how broken we are and how holy and faithful God is. So uh, we, we get just that in verses three and four. So look with me uh, there now. Paul writes this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, but, I love it when the Bible says but. A lot of times, you know, it's like, you were really bad, but. this is really important to get this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So verse three, Paul can use this weird language, right? We're enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Sounds like someone's dissertation, right? It's really hard. Uh, But I really think what Paul is saying is that in some sense, At some point in our lives, before we come to know Christ, we are all spiritual slaves. There are standards or expectations that we place on our own life that we are constantly trying to keep up with. We're enslaved to feeling important or to being loved or to feeling good enough. And when we are enslaved to those desires, our entire being, our whole self is dedicating to making sure those things are true. We will do whatever it takes to prove that we are important or to show people that we are loved or uh, successful, right? We will buy the coolest new stuff or we'll post really good selfies on social media. Uh, We want to make more and more money or we'll compromise our values to make sure that people don't judge us or reject us. But at the end of of the day, where do we end up? Do we ever have enough stuff? Have we ever posted enough selfies? Do we ever have uh, enough love to fill that hole? No, we just end up more beat down, more anxious, more stressed, more worried. We're never satisfied because see, we're not just putting those standards on ourselves, but we're actually enslaved to those desires. So work for a slave is never done. You can never just be like, if you're a slave, you're gonna, I'm finished. I'm done. No, your master would say, No, I have another job for you to do if you're done with that one. You are a slave. So, when you're enslaved to the desires of this world, you can never work hard enough or be good enough for yourself. You can never free yourself. It's a cycle, a vicious cycle. So, it seems really hopeless. What can we do? If, if we're enslaved to ourselves, we, we put these things on ourselves, we can never work ourselves out of that situation, what do we do? Good thing the, the verse continues in verse 4. Paul tells us the means by which God will break the cycle and bring us to himself in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of women, of a, born of woman, born under the law. So Paul is telling us this is God's plan. This is God writing himself into the story. It's like if Shakespeare, so Hamlet, right? You know Hamlet? Hamlet's giving his uh, speech, you know, to be or not to be. And then Shakespeare, the writer, walks on and is like, to be. He walks off. Gives him the answer, right? Or if, um, if Harry Potter goes to Hogwarts and he really needs to know how to defeat the Dark Lord Voldemort and J.K. Rowling, she just strolls in and she's like, Hey, you know, just do this, you beat him. He's like, cool, thanks. Or if if Harper Lee were to go into the courtroom and argue the case that Atticus Finch was supposed to argue, right? The author has written himself in and he knows the totality of the story. He knows the whole thing. So God waits for this perfect moment in time when all the stories of the Old Testament that we looked at just a couple of months ago, they all weave into this one moment, this one person, God's son who he sends into the world, not as people expected. He's not a conquering king. He's not a uh, liberator, but he's a baby who is born under the Old Testament law. Jesus is born to the same subject. Or Jesus is born subject to the same rules and to the same temptations that we are subject to, but he obeys perfectly. You see, where we are slaves to the law, Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. So we see that we are really broken. We are enemies of God, and Jesus comes into the world uh, to save us, but it's this, all this context begs a really important question. Why? You know? If you're a parent, you probably hear that question a lot. Why? 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 So I went and I visited some friends in Texas. And they have a three-year-old son, and we went and ate at Cracker Barrel. And I said, I want to go eat at Cracker Barrel. He said, why? I said, well, because I like Cracker Barrel. Why? Well, because I've been there before, and I really like the meal. I got pancakes, you know. They've got good coffee. Why? And like, eventually he keeps like he keeps asking you, and you're you get back into a corner, and you don't have an answer. Like, I don't know. The recipes are good. Why? Because the person that invented the recipe at Cracker Barrel uh, had a really good idea for some pancakes. Why? I, I because God made it that way, Calvin. Okay, <laughs> that's why. You know, so, so it can be frustrating, but it's good to ask the reason for why things came to be. So Paul luckily anticipates that very same line of questioning from the Galatians. Why? Why would God go through all of this trouble for me? Because I am not worth it. I do not deserve this. Why would he wait and plan for this perfect moment, send his only son out of perfection into the muck and brokenness of this world and be born as a tiny helpless baby when he's, ex- he's experienced all of reality as, as God and now he's this infant that can't do anything for himself. Why would you do that? And that brings us to our one verse for this week, verse five. This is why God went to the trouble to redeem those who were under the law. That's first. The word redeem here is a direct reference to our state as slaves uh, from verse 3. You see, in the Roman world, uh, slaves could actually be released from slavery if a wealthy benefactor w- would come up and they would pay the price for that slave. So uh, someone could just walk up and, and purchase. they say, I'd like to free that slave, and they would pay the price for that slave, and the slave would be free. So the benefactor is not really a benefactor because he doesn't benefit anything from the transaction, right? He doesn't own the slave. The slave has no responsibility to work for that man. The slave is free because the benefactor paid the price. They're freed from the master who was controlling them because of the generosity of one person who paid the price on their behalf that they could never pay. So in that same way, Jesus enters our story. He entered the slave market, He looked at me, and he looked at you, and he said, I want that one. I'll pay for that one. We hadn't done anything for him. He'd never seen our face before. We'd not earned it. We didn't deserve it. He just looked at us in our face and said, I want him or I want her. Before you even knew yourself. Before the world had even been been formed, Jesus knew your face, he knew your mind, and he knew your heart, your evil heart. And despite knowing all that time that you were going to reject him and do things your own way, he paid the price for your sin to free you from the slavery of yourself, from the slavery of the law. But the payment for sin is unlike Roman slavery, it's not monetary. Um you couldn't come up with enough money in the world to pay the price for your sin. Because under the law, the law of Moses, when you breach the laws of God, you couldn't just, you know, tithe a little bit more. Maybe go up to 12 or 15%, right, and, and be justified. Like, that doesn't make up for your sin. You couldn't just do better next time. God, I'll do better next time. I promise you. And he's like, all right, free pass, I really promise I'll do better next time. That doesn't make up for your wrongdoings. Payment under the law of Moses was the life of an innocent lamb who had done nothing to deserve death and they died in your place. They would cart that animal up to the temple and it would slit its throat and blood would spill on the altar and your debt could be paid. But even then it wasn't permanent. Because you would have to keep sacrificing and keep sacrificing and keep sacrificing. And there are not enough lambs on the planet earth to perfectly pay for all my sin. And there's a hundred other people in this room. We're going to need a lot of lambs. But really just one. See, what it took for us to be redeemed, the payment for your slavery to bring you out of the slavery that you've uh, put yourself in. It took God himself waiting and waiting and then coming as a baby, just like it said in verse 4, living a perfect life and dying the most gruesome death ever imagined on the planet. That was the payment. An innocent man hanging on a cross, dead for you to be right with God. That was the payment. But I think a lot of times we, we get that. Like, Jesus, yeah, you died for my sins, and you paid the debt on the cross. That's, that's Sunday School 101. We know, right? What I don't think we understand a lot of times is what happens beyond that. I know a lot of times I, in my own life, think, okay, I, I, uh, okay I, I'm saved. So Jesus and, and, and God ignores all of the sins from before, before I knew him. He's like, you didn't know me. You didn't know any better. Uh, ignore the, they're wiped clean. But now you know better. So you better better straighten up, right? Um, You better not mess up again because I died for you. Don't you know that? So I I would work really, really hard and try to do really good things to get him to love me. and, And I have to earn God's approval or affection or I have to make him feel like dying for me was worth it. And so I, I would say things, you know, I'd be like, see, God, I do all these things. I read my Bible every day. I, I teach Sunday school. I, I'm going to seminary. Or uh, you, I serve, in the, I serve in the nursery. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't run with girls who do. You know, you guys ever heard that? Wasn't I worth it, God? Look at all this great stuff I've done. And the hard answer to that question is no. We weren't worth it. We fail at following Jesus more then we succeed. But if his love was based on performance, then there would be no hope for anyone, and we could just leave. We could go to lunch. But praise God, performance has nothing to do with it because of what it continues in verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law so we might receive adoption. You see, adoption has nothing to do with performance. Performance. Just as a good father would never reject or abandon their child, our Father in heaven will never reject or abandon us. Even when we are imperfect or we intentionally disobey his commands, he will not give up on us. We are his forever and ever. Amen. Adoption means that we have a new identity. We are now known as a child of God. A child. Now we're all part of an eternal family, stretching all the way back to Abraham and forward until kingdom come. You can look at the tradition that we are brought into that we did not deserve. But that also means that as adopted members of God's family, that we are all brothers and sisters. We're unified under one banner, so there's nothing that can separate us. No taste in worship Uh, There's no opinions, there's no past attitudes or political stances that can breach what God has brought together in his family. If we're feuding or we're fighting or we're gossiping about one another, it's because we've returned to an attitude of slavery. We're trying to please something in ourselves rather than please God or serve our brothers and sisters around us. When I was was reading and thinking about this, I thought of uh, the Godfather. If you've ever seen it. And when we return to that spirit of slavery, we become Frito. You guys remember Frito? Older people have seen The Godfather. You remember Frito? So Frito is, he's a character in The Godfather, and they're part of this big mafia family. And there's a, there's a meeting where Frito sort of betrays the family so he can look good and, and kind of build up his own self-interest. And at the end of that scene, he's warned by his brother, his brother Michael. He looks at him and he says, Frito, don't ever take sides against the family again. That was my best, that was my best Frito Corleone. Now, I do not think, don't hear me, hear this, I do not think Michael Corleone from The Godfather is a well of wisdom. <laughs> okay? He's a mafia boss, he's a bad dude. But I do think sometimes we need to hear that warning not to take sides against the family. Because when we choose our way over the way of God, we commit adult I, idolatry. We, so, we say that we know better for our lives, and sometimes we say, I know better for other people's lives, right? but ultimately know that Jesus is the king of our lives. He knows the best way for all of us. In God's family, we must have unity because we're all sinners. We're all on the same playing field and we've all been saved by the same payment at the cross. Now this doesn't mean we always get along, right? We're we're gonna argue, uh, we're gonna fight. Uh, we're, We're not always gonna like everyone equally, we're not gonna always be perfect brothers and sisters, but guess what? That's what families do. Families fight, they disagree, they argue, but what they never do is argue and then say, I'm never speaking to you ever again in my life. Or I hate you. Stay away from me. We do not reject one another, we do not distinguish from one another, and we do not cut ourselves off from the family of God. this acceptance into this family is only possible because of one thing. If you look up a couple of look up a couple verses up the page. Um, in chapter 3, verse 27, Paul says something uh, really interesting. He says this, for many of, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what Paul is saying here that when you have faith in Christ and you are brought into the family, it's not just that God is ignoring your sin and ignoring your failures, He is doing that, but in addition, he's also seeing the perfection and the righteousness of Christ on you. Your slate is not just wiped clean, but it is filled with the goodness and the beauty of Christ. Tim Keller, who's a pastor uh, in New York, he puts it like this. He says, in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row and then hung around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor we are received and welcomed as heroes as if we have accomplished extraordinary deeds. See, not only did Jesus not have to die on the cross to free us from our sin, he also did not have to make us, uh, he did not have to put us into his family and elevate us to a status that we don't deserve. See, the doctrine of justification the redemption of, our, uh, of ourselves gives us freedom in the courtroom, but the doctrine of adoption gives us freedom, freedom in the living room. God is not begrudgingly accepting us into the family like we found uh, a loophole, or he's not tentatively letting us walk through the door and saying, I've got my eye on you now, you better straighten up. That's wrong. That's not what God is doing. He is welcoming us into His family and He is proclaiming, Let us feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and now He is found. When you are brought into the family of God, you are given a ring and a robe and there is a party for you. Even though you looked at God and you looked at God's ways and you said, I don't want that. Leave me alone, God. He ignored you, he pursued you, and he brought you into his family, and now he celebrates you as a member of that family, but not just any kind of member, because there's even more to this verse. So we're saved, we're redeemed, we're brought into the family, but the last two words of this verse change it radically so that we might receive adoption as sons. So okay, there's this thought in uh, sort of psychology, maybe um, I don't really know, but uh, called coding, and it's essentially saying that when you um, hear a word, you immediately think of something and associate uh, with something—an image or a person or a scene or a memory with that word. So I'm going to try something with you. My family, uh, pretty much every year at Christmas, we play a game called Spades. Um, which is a simple game, you know, and the spades are the most powerful card in the game. You know, you play them. If you play a spade, uh, you, essentially you win. And it's sort of a simpler version of a game called 99, which is a simpler version of Bridge, um, which I know we got some bridge players in the house. Um, not looking at anyone. Uh, so, what does anyone know what those, that like category of games is called? They're called Trump games. Now, what did you think of when I said Trump games? You probably didn't think of Spades, the card game. What you probably thought of was Donald Trump, the president of the United States, who five years ago, you probably wouldn't have thought of when you heard the word Trump games. But now, we've heard and seen and talked about him so much in the news, in our own lives, in our Facebook walls, that we can't help when we hear the word Trump, we think of the president, right? Right? So, so think about this. Our our brains have changed to associate. So we got to put our brains back in time to the first century to the Church of Galatia. Someone would get this letter and they would stand up and they would read it out loud for everyone to hear. And they and they would hear uh, you uh, might so that we might receive adoption as sons. And women in the house would celebrate. Because it, it, it might be easy to read this as, as chauvinistic or Paul being an enemy to women, saying this is reserved for men. Uh, this salvation, this, this being, this adoption is, is reserved for, for men in the church. But really, uh, Paul is being the most progressive, the most radical, and this is one of the most pro-feminism verses in the Bible. And this is why. Um, because sons... Uh, this is a patriarchal society. It's ruled by men. The sons are the ones who would receive the inheritance that was given to them when their father died. And, and uh, most notably, it would be the firstborn son. So he's telling us, not only are you adopted into the family of God, but you are now an inheritor of God's estate, God's kingdom. This is not just reserved for sons. Everybody who is in Christ is an inheritor They will inherit the kingdom of God. That's insanity. Why? Why would he ever do that? We've been freed as slaves, we've been brought into the family, but now we're elevated to share in the birthright of the only person who deserves it, Jesus Christ. We're all brothers and sisters, but we're also co-heirs with Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all things. in Hebrews 1 and 2 that he is the heir of all things, the inheritor of all things. So we have all of reality, we're we're co-heirs with Christ who is Lord of all things, so what do we inherit? Everything. At the end of time when when, uh, heaven comes down to earth, there's a new creation, we are to have dominion over all of that reality, that, that which is ours as members of God's family. We are to take place in the resurrection of our bodies. Just as Jesus was resurrected, we inherit the spirit uh, that will resurrect our bodies one day. And when we die, we get to see a shadow of the things to come in heaven. We get to be with God. Enter the throne room. So I could stand up here and I could wax and I could talk about how great and how awesome that's gonna be. And... I could not describe how good it's gonna be because we can't even imagine how good it's gonna be. So what I'm going to do is give us three things that our inheritance in Christ should drive us to, right? So we, we, we've received this gift that we do not deserve and it's the greatest gift that we could have ever gotten. So here, here's what we should do in light of our inheritance. First, we should have perseverance, The glory that is awaiting you at the end of your time on earth much outweighs the troubles of your life. If you really believe that you will one day die and then that body will be resurrected from the dead and you will live forever with the king and creator of the universe, then we can endure all things on earth. Really easy to say, it's much harder to do because I am not very good at this. Because today, when I realized that I was gonna preach the wrong verse, I was not happy. I was, I, was, I was mad at myself, right? Man, why did I do that? I'm such an idiot. So dumb. But what I should have done is said, thank God that he laid this word on my heart instead of that one. Because he's working Today, I trust that he is working. I can endure, we can endure any misstep, any mistake, any trouble because of the promises of Christ. Second, should call us to repentance. Um, one of my favorite authors and speakers is a guy named Dr. Russell Moore. He's a professor at Southern. He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is a part of the SBC. And he has adopted um, children from Russia is now illegal, but he he tells this story about back when he was adopting his kids from Russia that uh, they would go and they would spend time in these orphanages, and these orphanages in Russia were disgusting. There were no windows, it was dark, it was dirty, they were sitting uh, in their own filth because no one had changed them, and he talks about how it's silent because the babies uh, have come to learn that it doesn't matter how much they cry, no one's going to come take care of them awful conditions. He said, so finally the day came where they got to go pick them up, and it was this, this celebratory day, all this work and time had been put into this day, and they go to pick them their, their, their boys up, and they pick them up, and they're, uh, they're just screaming, screaming, and they don't want to go, and, and they bring them out into the sun, and they're re- like recoiling into themselves because they'd, they'd never seen the sun. They'd been living in this this dark room and they put them in the car and they'd close the door and the boys would just start crying because they'd never heard a car door close. They'd never heard a sound like that and they were scared of everything. But in all that, when the car began to drive away, those boys kept turning around. And looking at the orphanage and reaching for the orphanage. They wanted to go back because that's what they knew and it wasn't scary. And and I know I didn't get everything I needed, but I know it there. I'm safe there. And a lot of times we do the same thing. We look at our sin in our lives, the nastiness, the isolation. And and we say, I'm going to choose that over this gift that God has given me. So we may be scared of what letting go of some of those things may do to us. You know, oh, I have this, this idol in my life, or uh, I, I want to hold on, I just want to hold on to my money, or, or oh, I just, I'm really, I'm really, when I'm, you know, when I'm alone, I just, it makes me feel good when I watch these things on the computer that I shouldn't look at. You know, it's, we, we, we can't give those things up. We're scared. We don't know who we are without those things in our lives. We, and we're reaching back for the filth and the nastiness, even though we know this inheritance that we have been given is far greater than anything, any sin, any brokenness that is in our lives. There is more joy, more fulfillment, less anxiety, and more contentment in the ways of God. So stop reaching for the old things. It won't satisfy you. And the last thing we should do is, should call us to worship. We don't deserve to be freed. We don't deserve to be adopted, and we definitely don't deserve to inherit all of these things that Jesus is going to give us. Our one verse today, it took us from slavery to sonship. We are freed by a perfect benefactor, so we, then we can never pay that back. So when we are freed as a slave, the wise thing to do would be to follow that person who paid for your freedom and do whatever they wanted you to do. And then go tell other people, this man paid for me and gave me my freedom. He might do the same for you. He can do the same for you. I promise you, he can do the same. He's a great man. He's worthy. He didn't have to pay for me, but he did. We would scream that man's praises. We would follow him. We would dedicate our lives to that man because we were under slavery and he freed us. So once we understand who we were and where we are now, because we are in Christ, we have to submit ourselves to him. We must use our lives to proclaim and glorify his name. And that means in action, in the way we live our lives, the the deeds we do, the actions we take, the words we use, uh, that means in in discipline, in, in not falling back into sinful ways, into reading scripture. If someone were to free you, you wouldn't want to know about this person. You'd ask every question about their lives. You want to know who they are. We have who God is right here. We can know everything about him. And finally, we would worship in song. We would sing the praises of the man that had freed us that we just did and that we are about to do here in a little bit. So I encourage you every time you come into this room to sing, think about your state that you were in before Jesus. Think about the slavery the brokenness, the dirtiness. And then remember that Jesus came to redeem you from that slavery and adopt you, not just as a child, but as a son who will inherit all things. So today you may be here and you might feel alone. You might feel like no one looks at you, no one cares about you, no one loves you or appreciates you. You may feel like you don't know what it means to be a son of God, or you've not experienced uh, becoming a son of God. And and some of you may be caught in a cycle of anxiety or shame because you're still acting like a slave and not like a son. Some of you may look at your actions and think, I haven't been a very good brother or sister to someone in this room. Join the family today. You can do that. Shake off the chains of slavery today because they're broken. Hug someone's neck today and apologize for how you've spoken about them or something you've done against them or mistreatment you've you've given to them and they will forgive you because that's what siblings do. And that's what our brother, Jesus Christ, does for us. If you do those things today and forever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, amen. We can live in unity with each other and with God, not separated, not distinguished, not around two different Christmas trees in the living room, but we can all live together under one tree. That tree is the cross, where the inheritor of all things, of all creation, Jesus Christ was hung, so that we might join his family and live in peace. to pray. Father God, we are so undeserving of your love. We rejected you, we ran from you, we went our own way, and in spite of all that, you pursued us. So thank you. And I pray if there's anyone in this room who does not feel like a son of God, that you would give them your Holy Spirit and comfort their hearts, screaming their name, saying, I am your father. I love you. Join the family. Father, I pray if there are people who are caught in cycles of anxiety or sin, that you would show them that you are the the redeemer, the breaker of chains, and they can be free from that. Father God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not have peace with their brother and sister, that they imagine, they think of that person in their head and they pray for forgiveness for how they've mistreated and they pray for boldness that they may go to that person and ask for forgiveness from them. Father God, we know that you can do all these things and work in our lives because you are powerful. Thank you for our inheritance. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing a song. I'm gonna be down here. Pastor Brent's gonna be down here. There's gonna be deacons down here at the front. If you need to pray with someone, grab one of us. We'd be happy to do that. If you wanna pray on your own, the steps are down here. If, if you wanna join the family of God, come talk to Pastor Brenner or, or I. But let's stand and, and worship because we know of our great inheritance that we were given.